This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine. And I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive. As I am taught the Word of God, my life is changed for the better. And I will never be the same again. Amen. May be seated. And as you're seated, if you would turn in your Bible to 1 John, and we'll go back and hit a few verses in 1 John chapter 2, and then go on to 1 John chapter 3. The Lord has put a lot on my heart for today. Only the Holy Spirit can make sense of it, but I believe that he will. 1 John 2, verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. And so as we've learned in 1 John, Christ is our example. We're to walk in the light, we're to walk in truth, we're to walk in righteousness, we're to live the life. We've seen the past few Sundays that our love for God and our faith in God, our faith in Christ is proven, is evidenced by our obedience. Verse three, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. We saw the last two Sundays. Look at verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does, everybody say does. The man who does the will of God lives forever. And so even though there's a message out there, and unfortunately, it's popular, even though there's a message out there that would lead God's people to believe that it doesn't matter what we do, it doesn't matter how we live, that grace means we just live however we want, we see from 1 John, just as we see in places in Paul's writings and James's writings and other places, we see that what we do matters. The man who does the will of God lives forever. Now skip down to the end of chapter 2 and look at verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Can you continue in him? We saw last Sunday that in chapter 2, John uses language that is very similar to the gospel of John. He talks about remaining in Christ, remaining in his word, Christ in his word, remaining in us. That, that means that to live in, to settle down in, to take up residence in, that, that's continuous, that's ongoing. That's every day of your life until you step into eternity, until the Lord comes for us or till we step into eternity to meet the Lord. Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. So why, why do people head down the road that it doesn't matter what we do? And 
You might say, man, Pastor and Pastor Austin, they're, they're making a, a big deal out of this. It has everything to do with a life blessed by God. It has everything to do with walking with God. It has everything to do with God hearing and God answering prayer. Now, to illustrate this, I'm going to tell you some history, and it is important history. And I know there are young people here, and there are young people in this service for baptism. So I believe this day, this service, for a reason, for a purpose. Because we don't know who's sitting among us is called by God. We don't know who's sitting among us is called by God to do great things for God. You know, God has graced this land and this nation. And in every century, God has given this land and this nation a great revival. In the 1700s, God gave this land before it became a nation what is called the First Great Awakening. And then in the early 1800s, God gave this land, it was a nation then, another great awakening called the Second Great Awakening. And then in the 1900s, God gave this land, this nation, revival after revival. In the early 1900s, Azusa, then the mid-20th century, the healing revival and other revivals. But I'm gonna tell you a story to illustrate that how we live matters and how seriously we take the things of God, it matters. Where Jessica and I lived previously, where we live now, it's a two-lane country road. And there's a bar ditch on either side. And that's for drainage, sometimes trash and all the things people do. But two-lane country road, bar ditch on either side. That's common in the country. But when you drive down a country road, you gotta pay attention. You can't be texting and driving and doing other things because if you do, you'll end up in the ditch. The last time we had a crazy amount of rain for days and days and days on end. Went home one day and I, I saw a scene that concerned me so much I wasn't sure if I should call the police or not because the guy had driven his pickup truck off the road, it was in the mud, but it had sinking down, it had those great big tires, but it had sunk down very far, and instead of waiting for things to dry out to try and get it, he had some buddies come with another pickup truck, they had these great big huge chains, and they were trying to, you know, force that truck up out of the ditch, but I pictured chains snapping, I pictured guys getting hurt, I pictured them overdoing it, ending up where? In the ditch on the other side of the road. You know, I was influenced. My father was influenced by Kenneth Hagin Sr. I was influenced by Kenneth Hagin Sr. And he would talk about the importance of just walking down the middle of the road. And Christians have the tendency to get into extremes. They go to this extreme, then they go to that extreme, whereas if they would just walk down the middle of the road and live the life and be a doer of the word of God, they would be blessed of the Lord. And I'm going to tell some history to illustrate this. And I'm going to connect it to revival and the fact that our, our nation, America, needs revival in this day. But how is America going to have revival if the body of Christ and the church and young people hear that it doesn't matter what they do, that it doesn't matter how they live, that it doesn't matter how they conduct themselves, that they don't need to continue in him. They don't need to do the will of God. They don't need to be a doer of the word. 
Now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. You know, with our children, they're little still. When, when they've not done something the way they should or maybe they've been fighting or arguing or whatever it is, there's been something going on. When, when Jessica and I walk in the room, the look on their face and the surprise, it betrays that they're not confident. Why? Because they've been up to something they shouldn't be doing. They've been busy fighting or busy bickering or busy pushing little brother or sister around, whatever it is, but they, they've not been doing what they're supposed to be doing. And see, when the Lord comes for us or when we step into eternity to see the Lord face to face, we ought to be confident. We ought not be ashamed. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right. I like the New King James and the NASB, which say those who practice righteousness. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Everyone who practices righteousness. Everyone who is a practitioner of righteousness. Chapter 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We're a part of the family. We're children of God. The moment you gave your life to Christ, the moment you confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the real you on the inside was born again. You became part of the family of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. And yes, what we do matters. How we live matters. How we live for the Lord, it matters. That is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, yesterday I did a memorial service for a family in the church. And I preached that short service out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There, there's coming a day when those of us that are still alive will be raised to meet the Lord in the air. But there's, there's coming a day when all of those that have gone on before us, they'll receive a resurrected body. We'll be like him. What is sown in, what is sown in dishonor, it'll be raised in honor. What is sown imperishable or sown perishable, it'll ra be raised imperishable. It's so wonderful what the Apostle Paul tells us about that moment when we shall be like him. When he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Notice this language. This implies continuous, ongoing action. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. That, that's why Jesus was able to pay the price you or I could never pay. He was tempted in every way like we are, yet he was without sin. And so he was able to take my sins and your sins upon himself. He was able to pay the price you and I deserve to pay. So there's no sin in him. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him nor known him. And that's the issue. Tell your neighbor, say, say that's the issue. Tell your other neighbor, say, that's the issue. 
Now, people, they're, they can get in the ditch on one side. They can get into the ditch on the other side. And in the full gospel charismatic world in our nation, message that's become popular is it's the ditch on one side. That grace means, the blessing of the Lord means we're, we're blessed no matter what we do. And with that, people are led to believe that they don't need to live a righteous life, a holy life, a pure life, a life set apart unto God, that the spiritual disciplines don't matter. And what is that a reaction to? Well, it's a reaction to times before in that world where an emphasis was put on works, what is called works righteousness, where people get into the ditch on the other side that no matter what they do and no matter how much they do, it's never good enough and you can't please God. Well, Father God, our, our, our Heavenly Father, He's not like your natural earthly Father. You can please Him. I said you can please Him. And when you live a life according to His Word, He is pleased and He will bless you and He will favor you and he will answer you. A minister made news because first he started with finances, and I, I'll tell you what it is. Even though some people call themselves faith, faith people, didn't have church for more than two years, finally get back together for church, horrified by what they see. And so they, they do things to get attention, do things to be in the news, do things to try and help attendance, which is just compromise. So he began with finances and told the people of God they don't need the tie. And I don't just read stuff for myself on the internet. I check stuff out for myself. I listen to those messages. And the basic premise is that you're blessed regardless of what you do. It's just nonsense. Then I listened to the weeks after. And in the weeks after, he revealed, well, why he's gotten on the ditch on one side, it's because of the ditch on the other side of you can't do enough to please God. But instead of coming to the middle of the road, bearing off into the ditch on the other side of the road. What you do doesn't matter. How you live doesn't matter. And so as he let his hair down, so to speak, he rehearsed how in Pentecostalism, Pentecostalism picks on women, what they wear. We, we all understand from the New Testament that true beauty comes from within and as the people of God, we ought to dress modestly, decently, in an order, amen. And styles change, culture changes. You might say, Austin, what's inappropriate? Well, I know it when I see it, amen. But men can be inappropriate too. You know, if I had worn my pajamas, and I don't have, the Crocs I have are real crocodile. I don't have any plastic crocodile shoes. But say I did, if I had worn my pajamas, and Crocs today, that wouldn't have been appropriate. Does that make sense? But in this message, he was, he was venting all that, and he actually said to the women of the church, if you got it, flaunt it. Well, that's just wicked. And that's fleshly, that is carnal. And if people listen to that and take action upon that, it's going to cause carnage in their lives. You understand that? Then he proceeded to teach that Everything that Jesus taught and said before his resurrection, that's old covenant, doesn't apply to us today, which is just wrong and it's 
destructive, again, leading people to believe that we don't need to follow the commands of God. And you might say, Austin, why does all of this matter? Because the body of Christ can't head down this road if they want the heavens to open and if they want God to heal this land and to heal this nation. And if they, got, they want God to bless and they want God to answer. So I'm going to tell you some stories. First Great Awakening. Before that, there were some young men that were at Oxford training to be in the ministry. They were mocked. They were made fun of by the other students. And these young men that were training for ministry, unlike a lot of the other students, they, they took the fact that they were called by God. They took the fact that they were training for ministry to be ministers. They took that seriously. And so unlike the other students, these young men actually went to church, even though it was dry, even though it was boring. Unlike the other students, these men, these young men, they embraced the spiritual disciplines. And they would gather on a daily basis to pray and to study and to read the word of God together. They, they would receive communion on a regular basis. And they lived what Kenneth Hagin Sr. would actually describe as a fasted life. They didn't overeat. They kept the flesh under. When they would gather in the, the great mill halls at Oxford to eat, instead of eating everything that was available, they would eat bread. They would eat soup, which is not like Campbell's chunky soup. You know, broth, something light, something not, not heavy. And when we read about them today and think, oh, how, how wonderful. They loved the Lord. They were mightily used of God. But they, they were mocked. And they were made fun of by the other students at Oxford. They called, it, they called it the Holy Club. Well, that Holy Club produced two of the greatest preachers the world has ever seen, George Whitfield and John Wesley. And I want the young people to hear me on this. It wasn't by heading down the road of it doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter how you live. Doesn't matter whether you pray or don't pray. Doesn't matter whether you seek after God or not. No, they, they drew near to God. And God drew near to them. One story about George Whitfield is that, again, and perhaps in a reaction to students not caring about the things of God, maybe he got a little over to the extreme. His body was so broken down that he had to be carried to his room, and was put on bed rest as a young man. But later, he obviously ate, because later, he's a little bit heavier. If you look at some illustrations and pictures, drawings of him, one of the greatest preachers that has ever preached on American soil. George Whitfield would preach outside Boston. Thousands would come to hear him preach. Even Benjamin Franklin who wasn't a believer, would go to hear George Whitfield preach. And Benjamin Franklin wrote about how he would purposely leave his money bag at home, his purse bag at home, because George Whitfield was such a great preacher, and Benjamin Franklin would be, feel compelled to give whatever money he had to support George Whitfield's orphanage. George Whitfield kept diaries later, Subsequent editions had a lot of things removed because they were seen as being controversial. 
But one report from those days in Boston is that the, pow the power and the presence of God was so tangible, they literally had to carry him from the field back to the city. And the power of God touched down. There was ecstatic utterance and revival in the city of Boston. Now, would that have happened if George Whitfield and John Wesley and Charles Wesley lived like and acted like and talked like all the other students at Oxford? Would they have been used of God in that way? John Wesley was not welcomed in the Church of England, had to preach outside, was not comfortable with it, but the Lord used it. God's presence was tangible. People responded to that. John Wesley wasn't comfortable with that either. But it was from John Wesley you had Methodism. It's from John Wesley you had the circuit riders that literally rode on horseback from one end of the colonies in America to another, and they took the gospel to the American frontier. A generation would not have had the gospel without John Wesley and the Methodists. And again, why is this important? Because every generation prepares the way for the next. After Wesley, after the Methodists came, the holiness movement. Men and women of God like Phoebe Palmer, who emphasized sanctification and living a holy life set apart unto God. See, without Methodism would not have been holiness. Without holiness would have not been the Pentecostal movement. So in, after the days of people emphasizing living for the Lord with their whole heart and living the life and living a life of purity set apart before God, you had a rebirth of the book of Acts in America. Charles Parham, Topeka, Kansas, there in his classroom, a group of young people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He later moved his Bible school to Houston, Texas. And uh, those were the days after the Civil War there was a young man named William Seymour who had heard about Charles Parham. William Seymour was the son of slaves. All he knew was slavery. But during his day, he had the opportunity to serve the Union Army. He received his freedom after the war, had to start over, but had a desperate hunger for God. He had heard about Parham, went to Parham School there in Houston, Texas, but those were the days of segregation. Par William Seymour wasn't offended. He, he sat outside that school on the steps and heard what was taught. And he took what he learned to Los Angeles, California, where there he and a group of believers, they gathered, they prayed, and revival came to Los Angeles for more than three years. We see the wickedness in our nation today. And it seems that every day things get more and more wicked. Things get more and more perverse. As my father said at 9 a.m., they are literally inventing ways to sin. They are literally inventing ways to do evil. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming for his church. And if there is not a move of God, if there is not a revival Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of young people in our nation, they will be lost to hell forever. How do we see God answer? How do we see God move? How do we see God bless? Well, Satan knows it's not by 
living however you want, doing whatever you want, not praying, not going to church, not living a life that is pleasing to God. See, that same minister that headed down that road and that same message where he let his hair down, inferring to the women, they just act and dress however they want. He then proceeded to say that if people don't come to church, he just assumes they're enjoying life. And that's what it's about. See, Satan is doing everything he can to wreck the church and to wreck the body of Christ in our nation. That a generation of young people would be lost. That a generation of young people would not know God. You read about William Seymour. He loved God. He walked with God. People described him as a humble man, and God touched down Los Angeles. During that revival, there was a man, Jewish businessman. He thought it was all nonsense. He traveled to Los Angeles to record, to write down what he saw, to discredit it. He walked there into that building, and a young teenage girl walked down just as he entered from the second floor from the prayer room. She saw him. She looked at him. He was a Jewish man, and he said that she spoke to him in the most perfect Hebrew he had ever heard. And she told him his name. She told him where he was from. She told him what he was about and why he was there. And of course, God brought him under great conviction. See, that, that, that's what America needs today. So how we live matters. Whether we pray matters. Whether we hunger and thirst after the Lord, it matters. Whether we draw near to God matters. Whether we continue in him, it matters. Verse 4, 1 John 3, verse 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appeared so he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Tell your neighbor, say, give it up. Tell your other neighbor, say, give it up. To God, God wants to bless you. God wants to use you. God wants to favor you. God wants to do wonderful things in your life. But the foxes, the little foxes, spoil the vines. Proverbs says, he who conceals his sins does not prosper. And an honest reading of the word of God, Old Testament, New Testament will tell you that yes, this has everything to do with whether or not our Father will hear us and answer us and move and work and perform on our, path, on our behalf. And praise God for his grace and praise God for his mercy. But we're not to abuse those things. We're not to, as Hebrews says, to trample the blood of Christ. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. What's he talking about? You know it's wrong, but you keep doing it. You know it's wrong, but you keep going back for more. You know it's wrong, but you keep heading down that road. So you've got to set it aside. As Hebrews says, you have to throw off everything that hinders, everything that entangles, and run the race God has set before you. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So you see from 1 John, you can't head down the road that it doesn't matter what we do. 
or it doesn't matter how we live, or that, or what Jesus did for us just means we're good, we're covered, we're on our way to heaven, but how we live doesn't matter. It does. And it has everything to do with God using us, God answering us, God favoring us, God blessing us. You might say, Austin, well, what if I, what if I, I get over on the other side of the road too much? I would rather be on that side of the road than the side of the road that'll face the judgment and the wrath of God. Because it's destructive. It'll hurt you, it'll hurt those around you. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, verse seven, do not let anyone lead you astray. And that's the issue, do not let anyone lead you astray. Well, Austin, have you heard about this? Austin, it, it, it's popular. Austin, when, when that is preached, people come, people come to hear it. Just because something is popular doesn't make it right. Just because something is popular doesn't make it true. Just because something is popular doesn't make it pleasing to God. There's coming a day when we will stand before him and give an account. Even though America is heading down this road of wickedness, we are so blessed and we have it so easy compared to other believers in other parts of the world, compared to believers in times of history where they faced death simply because they, they called upon the name of Christ. So it's not too hard to live for God. Living for God is the easiest thing. Walking with him is the easiest thing. Putting him first and living for him wholeheartedly is the easiest thing. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The New Testament speaks of false Christs and false prophets leading God's people astray, even the elect, if that were possible. Do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The man or woman who does what is right is righteous just as Christ is righteous. So yes, when we're born again, as the Apostle Paul teaches, his righteousness, it is credited to us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't work for it. It is a free gift given to us. But once we're saved, once we're born again, we are to live this life as the righteousness of God in Christ. Once you're born again, you're to walk in the light. Once you're born again, you're to walk in truth and not error. Once you're born again, you're to walk in the light and not in darkness. And when you find out, see, someone who just got saved, they might not know everything. But if you've been a believer five years or 10 years, you know if there are things in your life that are displeasing to God. You know if there are things in your life that the Holy Spirit has moved upon your heart to give up with, to, to put away, to get, get out of your life. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. What's the devil's work? Jesus identified it in John 10.10. 10. It's stealing, killing, and destroying. And so when a, a Satan can get a minister to be a, the mouthpiece for, doesn't matter what you do. 
Doesn't matter how you live. Doesn't matter whether you come to church or not. No matter what you do, no matter how you live, you'll be blessed. See, what is that? It is stealing. It is killing. It is destroying. But Jesus came that he might destroy the devil's work. And in our lives, we're not to put up with the devil's work. We're not to tolerate it. We are to destroy it. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. If you're not convicted, you need to get saved. And if you know you say, but you've ignored the Holy Spirit, ignored the Holy Spirit, and grieved the Holy Spirit, and grieved the Holy Spirit, you got to cry out to God. you got to lay it before God and confess it and repent of it and move forward in righteousness. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. But Austin, they, they say they love Jesus. And my father at 9 a.m. used the example of dating and young people bringing someone home to meet mom or dad. You know, Jesus told us we're, we're not to run around judging. Do not judge. And that's the verse all the young people love to throw out. Don't judge me. Aaron would see some questionable behavior. Don't judge me. But Jesus said, don't judge. And we're not, we're not to run around judging everything and judging whether or not someone is right with God. But Jesus also taught that we're to evaluate a tree by its fruit. A good tree bears what kind of fruit? Bad tree bears what kind of fruit? So someone brings a young person home. Mom, Dad, I'd like you to meet Dracula. Yes, he's kind of odd. He, he doesn't, you know, he only goes out at night. He drinks blood, a lot of other questionable things, but he, he loves the Lord. He loves Jesus. We're to evaluate a tree by its fruit. A good tree bears, a bad tree bears, and in a similar vein, John tells us here this is how we know with, with the, the senses God gave us. Our eyes, our ears, but even better than that, our spiritual discernment. Maybe you can't see, but you know here in your spirit, in your heart of faith, something's wrong. There, there's something wrong with them. Got to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. See, someone might get angry about that. Say, I'm not a child of the devil. Jesus told the religious leaders in John's gospel, he said, you're just like your father, the devil. Man, they were angry. And after that, they, they ramped up plotting and conspiring to arrest him, to not just kill him, but to murder the son of God. He said, you're just like your father, the devil. He told him the father of lies. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor does anyone who does not love his brother. Remember, John has told us that he's giving us a new command, but it's not just a new command, it is an old command. 
See, people have it in their minds that, well, the Old Testament, there's no love. You get to the New Testament, it's love. But as I pointed out, the love command is in the Old Testament to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And yes, even in the Old Testament, love your neighbor as yourself. If I love God, am I going to walk in the light or walk in darkness? I'm going to walk in the light. If I love God, am I going to walk in the truth or in error? I'm going to walk in the truth. If I love God, am I going, even though I know it's not about me trying to earn this or that, if I love God, am I going to give him my best? Yes. If I love God, am I going to put him first? I want to end with something from the book of James for the young people. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. Don't go along with the devil. Don't, don't come to the place where you're deceived and say it's okay. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Some translations say draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn well, change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. We're to live the life. We're to live for him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. What kind of people does God use? What kind of young people does God use? Is it the young people who just live however they want? What kind of young people does God use? It's men like those young men in the holy club that were mocked and made fun of and looked down and despised. While the other students were doing whatever they did, there was a group of young men who drew near to God. And so later when they spoke, God answered. When they spoke, God moved. And they changed the course of their nations for the better. Please bow your heads. You might be here today and perhaps you don't know God. You've never given your life. Ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord, the Savior of your life. God loves you. God has a plan, a purpose a destiny for your life, but it all begins by asking Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes upon him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. You can call upon the name of Jesus. We sang about that today. You can call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're here today, say, Austin, I've never done that, but I want to. 
I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want to be a part of the family of God. I want to be saved. That's you this morning, wherever you're seated, raise your hand to where I'll see it and I'll know you want me to pray with. Say, Austin, pray with me. I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want to give him my life. You might also be here today in a time in your life, you prayed a prayer, you walked an aisle, but you know in your heart you've not been living for God. You've been doing your own thing, living for self. You've paid the price. It's time to stop blaming God. It's time to stop blaming others. It's time to stop being deceived that, that you're good no matter what, no matter what the results are. No, evaluate the fruit. If the fruit is not good, you need to humble yourself. You need to draw near to God. You need to ask him for his grace and his mercy and a new beginning and a fresh start. If you're here today and say, Austin, that's me. I, I want to recommit my life. I want to make things right with God before I go today. If that's you, wherever you're seated, raise your hand, raise it up high where I'll see it and I'll know you want me to pray with you. Raise your hand where I see it and I know you want me to pray with you. Okay, see those hands? For the sake of the young man that raised his hand, we're going to pray. If you raised your hand for either invitation, I'm going to ask you to come join me at the front. Maybe you didn't, but God is dealing with your heart. Come and join us here at the front. We're going to pray. No one will think a thing of it. They will be excited for you. They will rejoice with you. Bless you. Repeat this prayer after me. If you're watching or listening, and this is for you, repeat this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I repent of my sins. And I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Time's gone by. I've lived for self. I've gone my own way. And I have suffered for it. But today, I give you my life. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Thank you for a new beginning and a fresh start. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I know you're over here. Mr. Hughes talked to you briefly. You here for baptism? Okay. Mr. Hughes, we'll give you some things after the service. Be a blessing to you.